Hey everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey, and my name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher, and I'm a little bit jumpy today, John, I'm a little bit excited, how about you? I don't know if I would say jumpy, but I will say the sun looks a little brighter, <laughs> the wind feels a little bit better, as the Devils have finally won their first game since October 17th. Woo! Well, okay, so by some... Granted, they only played like a few games since then. Right, but, you know. right. And that's actually since October 19th. I forgot they won They won against Vancouver. That's right, that's right. Um, well, the sun is getting metaphorically brighter just as we turn the clocks back for daylight savings. So the Devils actually, since we last spoke to all of you and to each other, they've had a, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say a positive week. Because they went 1-0-2 with, weirdly enough, their one win coming on the road against a very formidable Carolina team. So let's break that down. Let's do things in the order of which they happen. And, you know, we got to start with the Tampa Bay and Philadelphia games where they were essentially just rehashes of every other home game this year. Um, No, no. Well, except for the fact that the Devils actually were better in the run of play. They just you know, didn't get the goal well, yeah. again and lost in shootout yeah. twice? Well, no, oh, they lost in overtime to Tampa Bay. That's right, Bay. that's right. They scored six goals against Tampa Bay, including a hat-trick game equalizer in regulation with seconds left on the clock. Yes. Now... And, you know, okay. Well, also, that, that was cool and all, except for the fact that in that game, they were expected to score something like, I don't know, 4.6 goals, and they scored six, which usually you're like, okay, that's a pretty good night for the boys. The problem was on the other end of that, where they were expected to give up like 1.7 or somewhere in that range and gave up seven. So that game oh, was frustrating to watch Corey Schneider in that. Well, there were also just some literal bad breaks, like P.K. Subban breaking his stick mm. on a slap shot and everybody just sort of forgetting how to come back and help him. To literal bad bounces like Taylor Hall losing the puck on offense, lollygagging his way back on defense, and then being in the right place at the right time to redirect Matthew Joseph's shot into the net. Mm-hmm. And um, also just some poor coverages like Subban leaving Bright- Braden Point open for who put in the rebound in the second period. There, There's a lot of things that just went awry that went badly. I'm not saying Corey Schneider played well because he didn't. I'm just saying... It was a team effort to give up six goals. And it was one of those games where you talk about, you know, you have a few per year, as we've mentioned here before, where those bad bounces all seem to go against you. However, when that's seemingly happening every game, you can't really blame it on blind luck. Maybe there was, Correct. you know, uh, extenuating circumstances in this one. There that... are mistakes that were made and they paid the price for them. Right. For sure. And again, this is a Tampa team that really hasn't found its stride yet. They were handily no. outplayed by both the Rangers and the Islanders. Yeah, this was another game where, just like the Arizona game, the Devils had an extended break before the game. They had four days off. Tampa Bay played the night before and lost to our hated rivals. 4-1, a definitive score, mm-hmm. a decisive score, rather. And the Devils, well, they came out and they didn't look anything like a team that had four days off to start the game. I mean, ironically, their most dominant period was the third period in terms of the run of play where they out attempted Tampa Bay something crazy in five on five, like 22 to eight. But as you said, Tampa Bay got three goals in the third period out of eight attempts. That helps nobody. 
It's even worse when you fat, when you understand the Devils went into the third up 4-3 and Sammy Vatnin put on a crazily good individual effort, a power move, if you will. Mm-hmm. He looked like Bill Guerin if he was Finnish and a defenseman <laughs> going in for a score against Curtis McElhaney and to make it 5-3. So even the Devils even got an insurance goal in the third period and they found a way to botch that and they needed Kyle Palmieri to be the hero of the night to at least salvage a point, which the sad thing is, Dan, if if we were talking about the schedule, say, back on October 1st, and we said, oh, the Devils are playing Tampa Bay on the 30th, oh, man. And I told you, hey, the Devils are going to lose that game, but in overtime, you probably would sit there and go, well, okay, it's Tampa Bay. Right. But given the circumstances, as, as you said, Tampa Bay has struggled a little bit this season, and the Devils have struggled a lot this season, a point doesn't really feel all that good. Yeah, no, and it's something where Tampa had also played the night before, and they played and got dominated, so you figure they would be a lot stronger, but even still, I would say, you know, the Devils did not deserve to get just one point in that game. Well, unfortunately, the Devils are in a position where, because of all the previous losses and previous drop points, you, you can't afford, you can't just write this one off and say, well... The goaltending was awful, but it was a really bad night. The offense picked up the pace, but it wasn't enough. You just write it off and, and move on. You can't do that. Yeah. If the Devils were kind of where Philly is and Columbus is in the division, eh, you could probably just write off the game, but you can't. And as such, at the after the end of the game, I just stood out onto the ice, looking longingly in the distance, going, I have to write the same recap as, as I did against Arizona. <laughs> or mostly the same recap. Uh, I changed some words. Right. I got to yell at Taylor Hall a bit. <laughs> well, they, they were amazingly consistent as we went on to the next game as well against Philadelphia. It was the oh. same thing over and over again. They just continued to do the same exact things, build a lead, give it up. And, you know, again, they have this thing where they cannot win if the game goes beyond 60 minutes, which, again, if they win half of the overtime games that they've lost so far, all of a sudden we're looking at 5-5-2, five, five, and two, and that's a completely different story. That's oh, yeah. That's something where, you know, you're not that far back, but you've dropped those two extra points, and you really you know, they really haven't had too many opportunities in the extra period. And don't even get me started on the shootout. It just looks dreadful. Oh, no, 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 no. That overtime against Philadelphia was real bad. They were actually very lucky they didn't lose it at overtime because somehow, some way, Blackwood kept a puck out with his blocker. And then he fell backwards into that. But somehow the puck also stayed out. They reviewed it. It's They, they said it wasn't a goal. But that overtime period demonstrated the difference between... The Devils not having an understanding how to play three-on-three and the Flyers having an understanding of how to play three-on-three. Whereas the Devils were trying to play what I'm going to take a term from basketball fans here is hero ball. You know, one guy on the puck, he's trying to do everything, whether it was Hall, whether it was Hughes, whether it was Zaka. You know, I get it. You want to try to take guys on and make a move, but possession is even more paramount in three-on-three and the Devils, you know, lost lost it and never really threatened to score, whereas the Flyers came close to scoring twice in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad because outside of Jack Hughes, everybody on the Devils roster has played in three-on-three situations before. And John Hines and his staff is certainly familiar with three-on-three situations. So it's sort of like, guys, you how do you not know what you're supposed to do here? It's ridiculous. But going to regulation, again, this is another game where the Devils' performance was in some ways good. Um I, I wouldn't I'm a little hesitant to say 
while the expected goals was in the Devils' favor, so they played were the better team, it was really more of a case of it was even for two periods, and the Devils had one really good period. Mm-hmm. Which, don't get me wrong, that's still positive. I mean, that's better than getting beaten on or not really uh, succeeding in any of the periods. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a classic case of, you know, the Devils did really well in one period, but it wasn't enough, and the Devils found a way to blow the lead, blow the lead, blow the lead, and put themselves in a position to potentially lose the game, to which they did in the shootout, which is another point of contention that I have with the coaching staff. But Dan, I would like to hear your thoughts on the shootout first. Oh God, it's it's tough to watch. There's really no one that tries anything creative. They just go out wide, try to circle back in, and by the time they get there, I mean Hughes has lost the puck what on every single attempt that he's had this year. Well, all two of them, right? But yeah. Okay. Um, Hall shots pretty much go straight towards the net, and then otherwise. I don't really see anyone that's making any sort of effort, but also we keep trotting out the same dudes over there. Correct. We keep throwing out the same guys in the shootout, and none of these guys can score, so why not try something different? I mean, I understand riding the hot hand and throwing you know, a goal scorer of the game out there, but at some point you have to find someone who specializes in these things because it's costing you standings points, and again... Those are the kinds of games you mentioned that they were more even or maybe even skewed towards the Devils in general. But those are the kind of games, if they were playing that way at the beginning of the season, they would have had probably more wins than they did just by virtue of how badly they played at the beginning, yet still managed to scrape some early points. Now, you can look at those losses and say, okay, actually, they played decently enough to win that game. They just didn't. But like you said, we can't afford to drop points like that, especially on a homestand. Now, that becomes a lot better when you consider the context, but let's let's stick with the shootout because I feel like you had something else to add there as well. I do. So you know what I just said about I don't understand about the three-on-three play because, yeah, outside of Jack Hughes, everybody involved has been in this situation before, including the coaches. Mm -hmm. Same with the shootout uh, choices. I don't mind throwing Jack Hughes out there because he's brand new. There's no book on him, so to speak. Mm. You know, he's an unknown. And I had no issue with Palmieri because Palmieri historically isn't so terrible at the shootout. He's not quite average. Average for a shootout is about 33%, which is just as just as appropriately the average shooting percentage for a breakaway, Mm -hmm. which is what a shootout is. It's a breakaway. And since Palmieri scored three times, hey, throw him out there. But Hall has never been a good shootout taker. Mm -hmm. Never. And this is not a in the, even during the MVP season, he was not a good shootout taker. I think his his overall career rate. I have to look it up to confirm, but it's around twenty percent. Mm. And I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower than that. So the point is, is that I understand Hall is your most talented forward. But to your point, Dan, if all he's doing is just skating up, doing a move that the goalie is never going to bite on, and then try to thread it through a five hole that doesn't exist, like he did to Carter Hart then what's the point? In fact, since we're playing hindsight here, there was a, another hot hand from the Philadelphia, from the uh, Tampa Bay game that I think should have had a chance in the shootout because he has demonstrated that at least he has a move. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hit this move very often, but it's a move. Uh-huh. And you know who I'm talking about. Was it Vatanen? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Jesper Bratt. Well, Jesper Bratt, yeah. The I mean... lull is over. The man came out against Tampa and showed... That he never should have been scratched. Surprise, surprise, if you don't let, you know, saddle him with Gusev, he can do some good things. And as such, he played well this week. 
Mm-hmm. And we know he has a shootout move. It's a difficult move, but it's a move. And I think that really gets to the heart of it. it like, the Flyers won because Sean Couturier turned into Peter Forsberg for 30 seconds. I mean, also, and... he just decimates us in general. Well, yeah, he, he did. But that's a hard move. It's a hard move to pull off. It's literally you have to play chicken with the goalie. And the puck's out wide. You don't have a – it's on your backhand or possibly your forehand. It's it, But you're one-handing it is the point. And you, it's very likely to lose the puck. It's not an easy move. But Couturier had a move. Devils have to have try out some guys who have some moves. Mm-hmm. And they have a guy who has some moves. Although, after Saturday's game, he may not be available for the next couple. Yeah, so it looked like he took a uh, hard hit in the middle of that game. Uh, which was the Devils' only win this week. So, of course, it has to come with some sort of negative spin to it. But he looks like he hasn't... I mean, obviously, they're not going to tell us what it is, but they're calling it an upper body injury of some kind. It didn't look great, and it would be bad to lose him. But if Gusev can step in, maybe he's learned something on the defensive side of the puck by sitting with Eliashi's last couple games. If he can fill the role that Brat was filling on that um, Heischer-Zaka line, which was actually doing very well and looks like in practice, just based on Monday's practice, may have been broken up, which, I mean, that's... Let's not do that, but we'll see. Regardless, he'll slot back in the lineup for the injured Brad. I can't imagine they'll continue to sit him much longer. No, they won't. Right. So hopefully he can fill kind of a similar role with that. It's, it sucks to lose him, especially when he was just starting to get going. But that game against Carolina was a shocker. I, I can't believe it. They're coming off a back-to-back against a team that is poised to do well this year and they've started pretty well their defensemen they're very good at home very good at home their defensemen score in bunches even even like maybe as much as their forwards and somehow the devils went out there and i would say stole a game on the road they put in a very good effort Mm -hmm. given the situation i think our concerns about the road games are very real last season the team was terrible on the road Mm -hmm. and the first three road games this season they scored all of what two goals three goals and gave up 14, mm-hmm. you know, combined. So there was a lot of concern of, okay, you're now you're going to take on one of the best five-on-five teams and most statistically driven teams in hockey. Let's see how this rolls. And and the Devils went out there, and, and similar to the Philadelphia game and sil- sim- somewhat similar to the Tampa game, the Devils actually held themselves pretty well in the run of play. By, in terms of Corsi, shots, Carolina had the edge, but... In terms of expected goals, the Devils did a little bit better in that regard. Mm-hmm. So so it, it, we could say it's an even game. And despite the fact that we saw some of the same issues, you know, guys watching the puck one time and whoops, and then back in the net. You had Blackwood coming off a back-to-back, which historically is never a good idea for a goaltender. Uh, typically playing back-to-back for a goalie, that second game is usually a rougher game. But he played just as well as he did against Philadelphia. And the Devils put on some stunning moves, and because they won, we can now remember them and talk about how great it was instead of going, man, that move was great, except the Devils lost, so who cares? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to see first the first intentional goal by Miles Wood. Yeah, there you go. His butt, no. his butt was not involved. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess indirectly it was involved. It gives him, you know, center of gravity. Yeah. 
He had to get there Nico, somehow. <laughs> Nico Heischer completely schooled Jacob Slavin, who's not a scrub. Slavin is one of the better defensemen in the league. Yeah. That move he pulled on him is like astounding. I'm sure he's still mad about it. So he scored a beautiful first goal of the season. And P.K. Subban scored his first goal against a goaltender this season from a deflection, of all things, right. sent by Miles Wood after he won a dump-in. He won a dump-in, knocked the puck away, kept the puck along the boards in the corner, went out to the point, and found Subban cutting in front, which is the weirdest sentence about any Devils game I think I'll ever say, but he was yeah, actually I, good that game. He was, and, and a big, they made a big change for the fourth line. They made it uh, Wood, Rooney, and Simmons, mm-hmm. and that line ate up Carolina's fourth line. They ate up Brian Gibbons, who I didn't know played in that game, right. but he did, <laughs> which tells you how well the matchup went. Right. And even though you don't like seeing a $5 million player on your fourth line, they're cr- they were crushing it. Like, Rooney had legitimate chances to score for the first time this season. Wood got a goal. Wood helped create a goal later on because P.K. Subban got his Marek Zidliski on and uh, was in the right place at the right time for the shot. I mean, Miles Wood arguably had his best game of the season so far. He wasn't useless. He wasn't taking stupid penalties. He wasn't uncommitted on defense. He played well. And that line as a whole played well. And I wouldn't be surprised if we we're going to see it again at a minimum against Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean, this formula is what they need to do to win, too. And for the first, I mean, for the first time in what felt like a couple of games, even when they were getting the home wins, they were taking a lot of penalties, too. They stayed relatively disciplined against Carolina. Oh, they did. They did. They, they made a point of it to... Uh, not take any dumb stuff happening. And uh, truth be told, yes, they did give up a power play goal because uh, a man, I want to say, was it Rooney? I'm not sure. Somebody, somebody was looking at the puck instead of looking behind him to see, oh, there's a man right there. And, oh, he got the rebound. And, oh, he scored. Uh, but the Devils evened it up with the power play goal of their own from the big deal, Jack Hughes. Mm-hmm. And, um uh, Again, I think the most astonishing, I think my favorite goal of the game, strangely enough, was uh, Damon Severson's empty netter because it meant the Devils were going to win yeah. this game. I mean, everyone it was, like, was on yes! edge. <laughs> yes, an empty netter. We can all breathe a little bit. They're not going to blow two goals in 40 seconds. <laughs> well, I mean, the Devils, when they had that lead in the third, I looked at my roommates and I was like, wow, Carolina's got us exactly where they want us, huh? Yeah, it's like, oh, I've seen this picture before. I want to believe. But, <laughs> but it's so hard I, to. Blackwood, I just looked. I was doing the month in review post uh, in the middle of that game, and I just looked at Blackwood's save percentage of October, and I'm like, "Yes, you're better than Corey Schneider, but by no means do I trust you with this." Right. But uh, he held it his own, and to be fair, the Devils did a very good job towards the end of the game of tightening up. Like Carolina didn't really generate a whole lot with the extra skater. They didn't generate a whole lot in the final five minutes of the game. The Devils. It's not like the Devils just broke down and gave up a lot of two-on-ones or three-on-ones that made you go, oh, my goodness, I'm growing gray hairs or I'm losing it or both. Um, They tightened up, which is what they should be doing in these types of games. And on the road, more importantly than that, you have to do that because you don't get the advantage of the matchups from uh, face-offs and you're not in familiar territory. Mm. So, you know, so I was very happy that they got the win because it was their first win in the last Three games. I just had to remember they played only three games before, <laughs> before the win. And just as importantly, it's their first road win of the season, which is important because they're going to be on the road until next Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like everyone's 
getting along real well. I mean, the vibe in the locker room seemed very, very good after that game. There's people, you know, Subban's posting stories with Hall smiling on the plane. It's nice. It's nice to see that they're feeling a little better because mired in that slump, you had quotes from Andy Green saying, like, trust me, no one wants to get out of this more than we do right now. So that was something that it was a huge win from not just the aspect of keeping the season alive and not falling too far behind, but just for the mental perspective, now they prove to themselves that they can do it on the road. And the formula to do it is disciplined play, not taking too many penalties against, you know, potent teams with potent power plays. Uh, that's an alliteration right there. Balanced scoring up and down the lineup and timely saves from uh, whoever's in goal. I mean, probably is going to be Blackwood for the majority of this trip and I guess the rest of the season now because Schneider hasn't really proved that they could trust him at this point, but it's it's good. They found some sort of winning formula and hopefully they can take it through Western Canada with them because, you know, two of those teams that they're going to face are not quite at full strength yet. No, they're not. And truth be told, you know, Winnipeg's not a bad team. They just came from behind to win in overtime against Vegas. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they survived a 3-1 deficit and came back to win. And as we know, the Winnipeg Jets, that was definitely not their only comeback win on the road this season. <sighs> I just made myself sad. Yeah, why'd you have to do that? I'm, I'm very good at reminding myself of sadness. <laughs> uh, Calgary, the Devils haven't seen yet, but Calgary is definitely a tough out. They're a strong team. They will... Um, you know, Johnny Gaudreau is an excellent player. He's maybe one of the best players that most people here on the east side, eastern side they're not super familiar with because he plays out in Calgary, but he's definitely a stud. And then Edmonton, who we have seen earlier, yes, they're top heavy. Yes, they're not gonna they're they're not gonna be reliable. They're not gonna be sustainable. But if you're gonna be top heavy, being top heavy with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is probably the only way you're going to get get it going. And we're not playing for the whole season. We're playing one night. Mm -hmm. So it, it's definitely going to be a rough run of things. Vancouver is also not super easy. I mean, the Elias Peter Pedersen line is pretty much their ace line. And then they get whatever help they can get. But who knows with them. But nevertheless, the Devils definitely needed that win. Not just because they needed to prove it to themselves, as you said, but also so they can feel, like, feel good about winning again. Because, you know, even if you get a point, a loss in overtime or a loss in a shootout, it's still a loss. Mm -hmm. It means you didn't win. It means you put yourself out there for over 65 minutes. You took checks. You you, you, you stretched your legs out. You maybe twisted an ankle. You, you took some bumps and bruises. You put in a lot of work. You maybe lost two to three pounds in body weight from all the water loss from skating around at a high level. And you come out of all that effort with no win. Eventually, it wears on you. And as we know from this season, the Devils haven't had a lot of wins. Mm -hmm. So it was very important that, uh, you know, as you said, mentally, that they start this trip with a win. And they can go into Winnipeg and go into the province of Alberta with a lot more confidence than they would have if they lost the Carolina game. Mm -hmm. And related to all that, I just want to take a quick pause here before we get into our next section, because it's going to be very hall heavy. But uh, let, oh, yeah. let's take a break before we go on to that. So we'll be back momentarily. All right, welcome back. And as you were saying, they are looking to get some confidence moving into Alberta and the rest of uh, Western Canada and, you know, before that, Winnipeg. But it would be a crucial time to get some of these road wins banked because one piece of news that came out today is that 
an agent of Taylor Hall, Darren Ferris, is scheduled to meet with the Devils Brass somewhere along their Western Canada trip. Now, the Devils' position looks a lot more favorable if they're winning a few of these road games, but Taylor Hall himself has... Uh, I don't know, I guess you can call it stirred up controversy with his comments uh, about the fans and his gesture towards the fans in that, I believe it was the Tampa, oh no, it was the Philadelphia game. Uh, Yeah. Um, So after the Tampa game, he made a comment that he was unhappy that the fans were booing mm -hmm. during a power play because the game was tied. Never mind that since I was at the game, I could tell you the fans were booing because the Taylor Hall and the first power play unit was, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, horsing around on the breakout and not succeeding, which frustrates fans endlessly because it's a five on four and you seemingly can't get it past the blue line with the puck, which is common. Like even the Carolina fans did it to their own team and that team is like good. So and add to the fact that the team has been bad. Mm-hmm. People be, be, people are bothered by this. It's like, come on, all, you know, step it up. You know, yeah, you're the team's leading scorer, but you have not been playing well. I've documented that on All About the Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know it. We've talked about it on Garden State of Hockey. His start to the season hasn't been all that in a bag of chips. It's arguable that it hasn't even been all that or a bag of chips. Mm-hmm. And now he's making comments about being unhappy about being booed after some poor play. Well, so that's what happened after Tampa Bay right. on Wednesday. And then on Friday, he scores his second goal of the season, which was an impressive individual effort. He gets past uh, Justin Braun, and then Justin Braun cross-checks him from behind. And uh, from the momentum, the puck sails through Carter Hart. And, um, you know, he raises his hand uh, to his ear like he's Hulk Hogan, as if to say, you know, where's your booing now? Which, hey, he scored a goal, so everybody was cheering and everybody was happy. And by the way, the Devils went up 3-2 with that goal. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, did that last? No, of course not. No, it didn't last. (laughs) No, it did not last. And the Devils went on to lose. So, of course, you have people like me writing, well, yeah, you made the gesture, but your your last image of the game was Taylor Hall skating up ice to take a weak shot at Carter Hart that had no chance of going in in the shootout for another Devils loss. So, you know. Yeah. It's a a molehill in the bigger scheme of things. Yeah, I had no issues with... I mean, yeah. like, I really didn't have an issue with him making that gesture. I, I was like, okay, the, you can view it as he's taunting the fans because they booed him, or he's like, let's hear some energy because we just took the lead in this game. And yeah. then, you know, if they do well on this road trip, expect them to get cheered when they come back. But it's important that he is on the same page, and it looks like in terms of the personnel on the team, personality-wise, they're meshing well, but it would be great to see some wins if they want that extension. My question for you is that now this take is floating around that no matter what happens, no matter how the season keeps going, they should try to maximize his value right now. So just given how they've started, what's your take on what they should do with him and I know it might be too early to make any sort of yeah. final judgment call, but I am seeing already that people um, are very interested in what a deal might look like, even at this point of the season, like pre-deadline. Yeah. These types of things are difficult to ascertain because when you know that a player is going to walk, their trade value drops like a stone. Like, let's let's think back, Dan. Do you remember the Ilya Kovalchuk trade of 2010? Yes. Right. That one, the deal came kind of out of nowhere. Like nobody was talking about the Devils being involved in that trade because, of course, Lou doesn't do stuff in public. Oh, yeah. That was uh, Oduya and um, 
Uh, Oduya. Oh, God. Patrice Sal- Cormier. Salmonella came back also. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the devil's got a player back on top of it. So it was a first rounder of 2010, Johnny Oduya, Patrice Cormier, and I believe a third rounder. I don't know if it was from 2010 or 2011. I think there was a second pick involved. And the Devils got back Atlanta's second rounder because they used it to t- draft John Merrill. Mm. And they got Salmela plus Kovalchuk. So even though the Devils gave up more assets, you know, in the bigger – even then, it was it was not thought to be a big loss. Like, of those players, like, yeah, Oduya was an okay defenseman. So at least, you know, he wasn't a scrub, but he was just okay. Mm. Cormier, you kind of had high hopes for based <laughs> on his junior career, but he never panned out. And the Winnipeg fans found that out very quickly. Yeah, he's famous for basically assaulting someone, right? Like, on the ice? Oh, yeah, the um... – yeah, I'm blanking on the moment. I know I th- I'm, I'm vaguely remember what you're talking about. He like about. swung his stick at someone and got banned forever. Yeah, he he took a very lengthy suspension in juniors for that uh, idiotic decision. Right. And the first rounder, do you even know who they drafted in the first round of 2010? Oh boy, is it someone stupid like Tenby? No, it wasn't Tenby. Oh, but I, but the point is, is the fact that you and I can't immediately recall them doesn't mean like we're sitting there going, oh my goodness, wait, oh and Bergforce, they gave they traded Bergforce. Oh Bergforce, oh god, okay. He started off hot actually after the trade, so already you had some fans going, well, Kovalchuk hasn't scored yet, but Bergforce has five goals, so you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, guys, it's Ilya Kovalchuk, relax. It's it's only Nicholas Bergforce. Don't don't stop. Oh sorry, it wasn't anyway. a stick, it was an elbow for Cormier. I just want to clarify that. Whatever the point is. <laughs> is that despite the number of assets involved, it wasn't seen then in 2010 as a big return for Kovalchuk. And in now in 2019, looking back nearly a decade ago, it's still not a big return. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that if you're expecting Taylor Hall to bring back a big name player and like two, two first rounders or a first and a second, pump the brakes. Unless the GM loves Taylor Hall and is willing to give up heaven and earth for him, and I'm going to bet you that the other 30 GMs in the league are not going to be that type of GM. Because mm-hmm. they know full well that you know if no deal is made, they'll just wait until the last week of June to talk to Hall's people and say, here's what we're going to offer you during this period where we're not technically supposed to talk about money, but let's be real, we're talking about money mm-hmm. and talking about contract and talking about terms and so forth. So to that end, could I see the Devils getting a first rounder for Hall? Absolutely. Could I see them getting a roster player plus a first? Possibly, but I wouldn't expect it to be like a first line winger. I mean, I'm seeing Dabrinkit's name floated around. That's just, it's not happening, people. No, no, you're not. That's like an NHL or EHM or NHL 2K. That's like a... That's a video game trade. That's a that's fantasy sort of hockey trade, that, trade. Come on. That's a that's a trade that you hope the AI doesn't fully re- value the other player and just goes, oh yeah, I'll totally take Taylor Hall, you know, for Alex Debrinka. I mean, Debrinka, what's he gonna do? Develop and become a top scorer? Come on. Well, I mean, that's to be fair, happen. the first Hall trade was the exact same thing. Exactly, and that's the other point I want to make here. <laughs> Remember, the Devils got Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Mm-hmm. Adam Larson wasn't a bad player, but by but by no means is he on the hall level. And there have been rumors that he was offered to Ottawa for Cody Cece. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Edmonton, I think Ottawa said no, presumably because they didn't want to pay Taylor Hall. Right. 
But now the point I'm trying to make here is that when you know that somebody's on the trading block, the offers aren't going to be that much. And if the other teams have an idea of what you're really looking for, like are you looking for a winger, are you looking for a defenseman, a goalie, you're not going to be getting the pick of the litter. You're going to be getting you know, second-hand, third-hand, or maybe more appropriately second-rate, third-rate players. Like you're not getting a top-line winger in return for Hall. You're going to get most likely um, you know, a Miles Wood-like player, somebody who's going to be playing on the bottom six, maybe middle six if you're lucky. And maybe you get a pick on top of that, and that's it. Like, you're not going to get, like, six assets in return, and they're all going to suddenly become big things because, you know, that's just how it is. And when you add to the fact that every almost every GM has an analytics department, you know, they have the same people like Taylor, Tyler Dello and Matt Kane to say, hey, hold on a minute. This Taylor Hall guy may be super talented, but he's also not getting any younger. And his five-on-five five play right now suggests that it's not going to be an awesome next eight years if you're going to sign him for that long. Mm-hmm. So to that end, you're not going to trade a whole lot for those players. So to finally answer your question, <laughs> to finally answer it, if you get a pick and a player out of it, that's probably where it's going to be at. But if you're expecting, like you said, to bring cat John Gibson, you know, some like all-star player coming back, it's not happening, yeah, like, man. Come, it, come it's on, not guys. happening. Though. It's not happening. Girlfriend. I'm trying to, be inclusive of everybody here. It's not happening, my fellow Devils fan. I'd love it to happen, but nah. Temper your expectations. Yeah, if the other 30 GMs are doing their job, they're well aware of what the situation is, and also well aware of the situation the Devils are in with him, in which, you know, if they really think they have a good chance at him, they don't have to give up all that much to get him in season. They could just wait for him to become a free agent if the Devils keep rolling like this. Now, odds are he's going to be traded somewhere but they're not looking at just this year the pool of teams that could have interest with him uh opens up significantly after the season as well if he makes it there so you know a lot of contenders who may think that he's a missing piece may be looking to upgrade that way at the deadline as like a very expensive rental i'd say but even still like like you said they're not in a position, they're not in a great negotiation position because everyone knows that he's available. Now, he's still extremely valuable. He's someone with a heart trophy in his collection. He's someone who, you know, he, he didn't play most of last year, but so far he leads the team. He's a very strong presence on the power play. He's still very seemingly, you know, he's not playing well for his standards in five on five. And yet he's somehow still leading the team in points. So there's value in that. And there's people that see that value inherently. I just think that any team that would want to pay the price for him is going to pay it more from a salary perspective than they would for an in-season trade. And again, that doesn't mean that he can't get traded in season. And it doesn't mean that he shouldn't or won't be traded in season, but Please temper the expectations here because I really think you guys are overestimating how much he can fetch at this moment in time. Now, there's people are saying the Pacioretty trade is a comparable. That was a trade and then signed for, you know, seven years kind of deal. So it's got to be a team that is in a strong position salary wise to give up the assets that Vegas gave up to get Pacioretty. And mm-hmm. and Hall's probably more valuable than Pacioretty anyway. So in that scenario, why not wait till summer to see if someone can do that deal and take the first crack at negotiating with him? Yeah, because that's really the big benefit of trading for Hall. It's, it's it's to help you right now 
you know, if you're going to be a playoff team or in, if you're like a Columbus, you know, hoping to make the playoffs. Okay, maybe not this season's you, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you have the first crack in negotiations. But to that end, if you know you're going to be a playoff team already, then Hall isn't going to be, you know, is Hall really going to be the piece that puts you over the top in a format that is notoriously uh, filled with variation and upsets and things going awry because of one injury, one hot goalie, one movement, uh, etc. And on top of that is really talking to a guy, being able to talk to a guy for a couple months when that guy can just as easily say, no, nah, I'm not talking to anybody until June. Because mm-hmm. at remember, and I wrote this before, Hall has all the leverage here when it comes to talking. If he doesn't want it, if he decides that I'm not talking to the Devils this week, he doesn't have to. Same, same with any new team he gets traded to. He may just turn around and say, I'm not talking contract with anybody until the my period to do so. And you can all present me your offers at that point. Mm-hmm. He could totally do that. And he's in, in his right to do so. And um, that would honestly probably be the best case scenario for him if he wants to maximize whatever his next contract would be. But to that end, Dan, he is not playing like a guy <laughs> who is worth eight figures at this moment. He might get it just based on market value, on the fact that, as you said, he's he you know he's a former MVP winner. He has oodles of talent. He has tons of points in his career. You know, based on history and the fact that there's really no one else in the free agent market that's going to be on Hall's level in terms of career accomplishments or pedigree or even talent, that you know, by that alone he might <laughs> command an eight-figure salary. But despite the fact he's leaving the Devils in points, the Devils ha- again are sitting on three wins right now, and his five-on-five play has been utter trash. That's not ten. That's not worth ten, eight figures to me. That's not worth ten million plus in salary or cap hit. Yeah, and. Again, this is the kind of thing where if he doesn't get the money from the devil, someone will give him that money. There, There is a right. team in the league out there that will give him I, – I think no right. matter what, well, someone's going to offer him eight figures. I True, but that's the, just because of the market, just because he can – because of his scarcity. Yeah. Not because he deserves it is my point. Well, no, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that he can look at – essentially he has the entire future of the devils laid out before him. I mean, that was locked in place when they got two first overall picks, which I still am convinced he had a big part in uh, making happen, just given his history, but he can see the future very well laid out and know when those negotiations are coming with those players. I mean, the Nico stuff is already taken care of. So he knows he'll have him there for a long time. He knows Hughes will be there for uh, what is ideally a long time. So if he is, you know, if he likes what he sees in the next coming games of the trip, I, I think he can understand his inherent value to the team. And in terms of, I'm not encouraging him to take something team friendly because I think everyone should make their money, but I think it'll be friendlier than something that he can potentially fetch on the open market in an unfamiliar situation. I don't know. Maybe that's just me speaking, you know, idealistically, but I, I do think that he is someone who follows the analytics of hockey pretty closely. He's someone who is very much a student of the game. So he probably can guess what his worth would be um, to, to you know, in, in a vacuum, essentially. Right. Well, to that end, I hope he recognizes his own performances so far through the analytics and realizes he's got to make some changes because whatever he's doing right now is 
well, it, there's a lot of room for improvement. I'll put it that way. Well, let's, um, let's say he's a big part in getting some wins on this Western Canada yeah. trip, though. And suddenly the yeah. conversation between Ferris and Shiro gets a, a lot more positive. Yeah, definitely. If, if Hall starts turning it around, his own season around, and I'm a big believer that if the Devils are going to turn their season around, they're going to need their best players, their highest paid players, you know, Hall, Subban, to a lesser extent, Schneider, um, guys like Green. Well, maybe not Green per se, but you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the, the big the big money players need to play like big money players. Subban has been playing well. Not amazing, but well. Mm-hmm. Hall has the points, but the five-on-five play suggests he is absolutely struggling in the run of play. And something, you know, whether it's a coaching issue or whether or not it's uh, performance, I think it's a bit of both. That's got to get better because if you, you know, even though I believe the future really is in Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes, that's how the team is set up. For right now, it's in Hall's hands. So go out there and perform. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, Dan. I don't think he's going to get traded this month mm-hmm. unless he goes into these conversations saying, trade me right now. Right. I don't think that'll be the case. I would be surprised if he's traded before Christmas. Yep. I have a feel because by the time you get to Christmas, you know, like right now, the Devils are entering game number 13 of the season. Uh, they just finished up their 12th game against Carolina. So they have a couple games in hand on most of the league. But for the most part, everybody's got everyone's past the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And you, and you start to have an idea of, like, who's legit and who's not. And that's kind of a reason why we're worried about the state of the Devils, because, <laughs> you know, the Devils have a lot of ground to make up and not as much time as you think to make it up. Mm-hmm. That being said, by Christmas, you'll have a really clear idea of whether or not you have something to play for. And if the team is still terrible by Christmas, if they're still last in the division and way out of a wild card spot... I wouldn't be surprised then in the new year that Hall gets traded, even before the trade deadline. I, I, I could honestly see that. Of course, if the team does turn around and Hall plays much better in the process and everybody's feeling good, nobody's making quotes about fans booing, nobody's making gestures, everybody's you know in better spirits, the team is possibly competing for a playoff spot by Christmas, we could be hearing about an extension. Yep. and it's... there's still There's still a lot of things that could happen. Yeah, but it's it's still good to get out in front of the process with oh, yeah, this definitely. week. You know, if it's something where he, I mean, you you said it best where he has all the leverage, but he lays out a situation where, listen, if we're not at this point in the standings, like I want you to trade me. If we're not at this point in the standings by this game or somewhere near there, I want you to trade me. That's something that could come up this week as well. But you know, absolutely, it's it's not. It's not worth getting riled up over something that's not in your control. Correct. And and that's a general life lesson for everybody out there listening to the Garden State of Hockey. Don't worry so much about the things you can't control. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that also includes our favorite hockey team, which we do worry about because, you know, they're our favorite hockey team and we like it when they play well and do do good things and win hockey games. And unfortunately, we cannot control that. It's the devils have not been winning games because Dan has not been holding down the X button long enough. Yeah, just because I haven't <laughs> I've been switching jerseys every game, you know. Yeah, exactly. Your lucky <laughs> underwear is not that lucky. Right. And it's also probably something that should be washed sometime soon. At some point. So get some tide, wash your underwear, get some clean draws on, and enjoy the devil's. Well game. maybe that's what's making it unlucky. It's just not washed. There you go. <laughs> Even more of a reason to bust out the Clorox and hit it with some bleach. And get that 
as clean as possible. Personal hygiene and winning hockey go hand in hand. You should know that as a fan, you know? Well, it's usually the other way around. It's usually I will wear the same outfit for the next 70 years because I saw them win a hockey game once in this and therefore got to wear it again. You know, and, and but oh, it's a new league, though. There's new rules now. Everyone's faster. Things are different, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. So new NHL. <laughs> Everything is different now. You can't get away with the old days of, you know, uh, you warm up for the season by uh, switching to a light beer and uh, <laughs> and you come back on the smokes and you do a couple push ups every day, a.k.a. the old uh, Phil Esposito plan. <laughs> <laughs> we swimmers call it tapering. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so uh, not a swimmer here. And you know who else isn't a swimmer? Louis Domingue is not a swimmer. Louis Domingue is no. a hockey goalie who the Devils have acquired for what is a conditional seventh-round pick. So basically they were handed Louis Domingue as the uh, veteran option, the pseudo-Eddie Lack of this season, if you will. So yep. uh, that's, I mean, from a housekeeping perspective, that's really all I had. But I did want to address that because it clearly shows that they're not all that confident in the tandem they have and for good reason so why not get a veteran who could potentially turn things around a la Devin Dubnik in Minnesota let's talk Darcy Kemper in Arizona who knows it's worth a shot and it's likely not going to be worse than what you have now but now they know he's there in case they need it because otherwise they were going to call up someone with absolutely zero NHL experience and keep in mind that Binghamton's goaltending has also been bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I, as I, if you read Jeff Ulmer's recaps at uh, All About the Jersey, which you should, uh, the devil, the Binghamton Devils have taken on the New Jersey trait of blowing leads and losing mm-hmm, hockey games. Good. And um, while some of that could be explained by the fact that both Sen and Schmidt are uh, inexperienced, and McAdam is well, even McAdam. So getting Domingue is really more for the B Devils than the NJ Devils, similar to Eddie Lack, as you alluded to. The fact that he cost a conditional seventh and he was traded during the Philadelphia game, right. I believe right at the beginning of it, uh, tells you all you really need to know. If you have high hopes of this guy becoming, like as you said, a Dubnik or a Kremper, put, pump those brakes. Goaltenders goal do not get traded for nothing. Right. A conditional seventh in two years yeah. <laughs> is nothing. It is not worth anything. Spare me your hot takes of, oh, you can find the next Arn Talvite with this or E2 Paquila. No, oh, it's a conditional on. seventh. You may not even have it. Right. <laughs> yes. And it's in two years. The guy right now is 16. He may not even be playing hockey right now. You know, he may be thinking about like art and girls or guys and cars and whatever you young kids are into these days. Your Fortnite <laughs> and your. Your your switches and your VRs and your death strandings. I don't know. How, how much money do you think, think I have to have a switch and VR and all this stuff? I don't. I don't know. How much I money mean, do you think we, the youngins, generally make? Because I think there's a misconception here. Taylor Hall, well, notwithstanding, and you know, similar to my age bracket. Yeah, but well, well, Taylor Hall makes millions of dollars. Do you make millions of dollars then? Oh, absolutely not. But I don't think he owns no. a switch. <laughs> Well, you know, he, you know, I don't want to play stereotypes of rich people, but sometimes you buy things just to say I have them. That's true. You know, like like a, I don't know if buying a Nintendo Switch is a status symbol, but you know, people value different things as they do differently. Years ago, you know, not you know, hey, a Switch is a lot safer than buying an expensive car and driving it around New Jersey and uh, 
getting pulled over because you drove three miles over the speed limit in uh, Ocean Grove. Yeah, but if that's happening to Hall like a few years from now, then something will have gone very right. <laughs> I don't know if he, if he's getting if he's still getting caught in speed traps down the shore. I think he hasn't learned anything about New Jersey. No, but that uh, just means he's still here. <laughs> true. Anyways, <laughs> the point the the point is, Dan. <laughs> the point is is that. You're not getting. Do not expect an NHL goaltending performance out of Domingue. I could be dead wrong. You know, he could have that one cr- amazingly good night that Lack had a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. That one time. That that that's I guess possible. But he's a B devil. He's a Binghamton devil until further notice. Yeah, sure. Do not do not expect otherwise it, from Louis Domingue. It's just you know in case something does happen and you know someone gets hurt or anything like that they at least have someone with some nhl experience anywhere in the organization correct Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the uh the minor move which came at a time where seemingly they couldn't trust either of their goalies so the timing of it was interesting in terms of okay they realize they have to shore this up just in case everything goes completely off the rails but I think that save percentage that Blackwood and Schneider are maintaining now it can't it can't possibly last to be as bad as it is now, right? Right? No, it can't. <laughs> I, I will tell you again in October they had the worst five on five save percentage in the league at eighty seven point one. What's stunning is that there were two teams very close to them. The Sharks. The Sharks, because this may shock you, but Martin Jones was terrible oh, last season. Oh man. It's actually a minor miracle they were a playoff team with Martin Jones as their starter. Right. Surprisingly, the other team, Dan, is Florida. Ooh, wait. Bobrovsky has not been good. Well, he got his first shutout in a Panthers jersey the other night. I do know that. Yes, but as we know with Blackwood, just because you get a shutout one night does not mean your save percentage suddenly becomes anywhere close to decent. (laughs) Because the man had a shutout in October, and he still rocked a sub 87 five on five save percentage right. for the month for the month dad <laughs> both, both goalies have both goalies gave up more than their xgas yeah by at least six by the way oh, so man. even if you want to say oh schneider's awful he doesn't have it anymore yeah the other guys um you know you're, you're basically picking your poison here it's whether or not you want methanol or uh arsenic both are both are going to kill you if you keep taking it. So don't take the poison. Well, now that's another lesson for you people out there. Do not drink poison. Yeah, it all, just, just Arden State of Hockey and all about the Jersey does not want you drinking poison. From uh, from someone with a, I'll I'll whip out my BS in chemistry for this one. Don't drink poison. How about that? Yep. So now, Listen to Dan. He has a BS in chemistry. Now you have the authority figure telling you that. <laughs> An SME, a subject matter expert. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that was just a small note on Louis Domingue, and I feel. We are getting a bit too loosey-goosey, so to wrap things up, uh, we're going to expect to see Gusev in the lineup in the game against Winnipeg. That's actually going to be tomorrow. We're recording this Monday. So that game will be included, uh, the recap of that game will be included in next week's podcast. Uh, We'll we'll just kind of handle the entire Western Canada trip in one fell swing. Yep, because it ends on Sunday in Vancouver at a very convenient 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Perfect. 
Um, so yeah, keep staying engaged with the team. Hopefully we see some more road wins and the Carolina game was not just a blip on the radar, but more a harbinger of a turnaround and good things to come. Again, the Devils yep. had a positive week this week at 1-0-2. No regulation losses for the first week uh, that's happened all season. So hopefully you can flip a couple of those overtime ones into wins. But progress is being made. Slowly, but surely. Surely, Yes. <laughs> All right, that's our time here today for Garden State of Hockey. Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate the support. And as usual, if you guys have any suggestions for topics you want us to talk about, please feel free to let us know. We might come up with some uh, fun little trivia games for later weeks in the future. So be on the lookout for that If for those of you that were uh, Merrick vs. Wyshynski fans. With that, have a great night or day whenever you choose to listen to this. And let's go Devils. Go Devils.